Welcome to BioCentury This Week. I'm Jeff Cranmer, Executive Editor of BioCentury, and today we have the last in our five-part series of podcasts focused on our back-to-school issue. Back-to-school is BioCentury's signature annual issue focusing on a topic of broad relevance across the biopharma industry. On today's pod, we give you the key takeaways of this year's back-to-school, our 30th, which has been a week-long deep dive on talent across the industry. We've delved into the C-suite. We've looked at rising leaders. We've looked at folks rising through the ranks, the heavy lifters. We've talked about the regulatory angle. We've talked about job seekers. And today, joining me to bring it all home are... Simon Fishburne, Editor-in-Chief. Selena Koch, Executive Editor. Steve Austin, Washington Editor. All right, and I should say that grounding all of, all of this that we've written was a survey that we conducted earlier this spring. We got responses from more than 600 people. We dove deep into the data, and then we went out and did a lot of reporting. Simone? I don't know how you can think straight at this point, but why don't you uh, set the stage for, I guess we're calling it the essay. Thanks, Jeff. What I want to do is start by painting this image of the future leader, what the biotech leader of the future looks like, because this image has come from numerous interviews we've talked about all week, and it, it really taps into priorities among Maybe it's Gen Zs, maybe it's millennials. It's this emerging class of young people where some of them are entering industry at the earliest part of the pipeline. Some of them, and this is something I'm going to get to in a minute, are actually jumping straight in and creating companies. Either way, whether their path is shorter or longer, these are the future leaders. And here are some things that are really important to them. First of all, this is already happening throughout companies. Digital is the way of the future. Data science is going to be the core of every company, or at least the successful ones. And what people are seeing, they're seeing it right now in universities, this drift to data science. And so what you have are people who are the word, I use the word digitally fluent. Other people say sort of bilinguals. People who do and understand data and sophisticated algorithms at the same time as having what we now consider functional roles like clinical operations or marketing or whatever else sort of goes with it. So a need for digital fluency, a requirement, you know, and we have one person saying all the way from executive assistants or even non-executive assistants, all the way to people leading data science divisions is going to be really core. And one thing I thought was really interesting was somebody said to me that, they really thought that, in fact, more than one person, they really thought that right now we have most of the leaders in our industry have biology backgrounds, biomedical backgrounds. We may have way more people coming from data sciences with data backgrounds in the future. A second theme that is really important is that this generation cares about social impact and social impact in a way that is far beyond what is a considerable impact, which is making drugs to improve human health, global health, and uh, cure disease. That's a pretty big task uh, in and of itself. 
But these individuals really care about various things. It goes from health, health disparities to the environment, social impact of their organizations. They're not saying that their organizations have to fix everything, but they want to know that they are in organizations and in careers that will have a broad social impact and not a very confined one. The third theme and last theme that I want to bring up is this sense of urgency. So this generation does not want to wait decades to climb the ladder and go through rung after rung and sort of get battle scars on the way. They've got skills, they've got ideas, they think that they can bring something to the table right now. I don't want to suggest that they're not keen to learn, they're very keen to learn, they're very respectful of the idea that they need mentoring, they're very collaborative. I spoke to Belinda Termeer, she was the wife of the late uh, Henry Termeer, who was sort of a giant in the industry and the Termeer Foundation is created to foster you know, young entrepreneurs create mentoring for them. And she talks a lot about this generation being very socially active, but also eager and very willing to collaborate. They actually see their competitors as really important and positive parts of the ecosystem that, that they embrace. So those are the top themes that we've got sort of among this next generation. Now, how do we get there from here? What do leaders and, and executives have to do right now? Because that's sort of what came out through the survey. Simone, that's really interesting. One of the points I want to ask you about, because I think that it's, it's something that's being actively debated by leaders of biopharmaceutical companies right now, is how they should think about the role of their company and the role of their leadership on issues outside of the core business that they're engaged in outside of medical product development, how should they think about their responsibilities on social issues, on environmental issues, on these other issues that are of great interest to their employees, but where there also isn't a unanimity of opinion about what the company should do and what the public policy should be? Steve, maybe I'll go into politics because I'm not going to answer your question directly. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. Um, you're absolutely right. There is a, a very big debate among today's leaders. Our essay and our coverage doesn't provide all the solutions for what kind of environmental impact or ways that companies can do that. And we will continue to follow what ways companies can and should have an influence beyond what you call their core mission. We have already talked about addressing health disparities, which you could say as part of the core mission, and it is, but it's also certainly something that is a, a broad social impact. What I want to emphasize is that this is an issue that is really key to the emerging talent. So it may be generational. It may be that the incumbent executives don't, or some of them, one class of them, don't think it's important. We certainly know that others do. They issue letters and statements and you know they're active on various fronts. But I think that as you see various aspects of society that border on healthcare, abortion is one, addressing environmental change or climate change is, is something that is deeply scientific. But, you know, companies have a lot of manufacturing facilities and various ways that they can fulfill their obligations in that way. I don't have a recipe for how they should do it. 
What I'm saying is that this younger generation is already ahead of the debate. They care about it and it's important for them. And it's what motivates them. As one person we spoke to, Andy Plump, president of R&D at Takeda said, this is important to these employees. So we sort of view this as part of the equation for attracting talent and building the kinds of environments that people want to work in. So can we turn to one of the other two themes you introduced at the beginning? You kind of painted this picture of this, you know, the army of Gen Z um, workforce sort of marching toward us. And they have all these skills, digital fluency, but also more data scientists among them than the generations before them, which means when they come into these companies, they're going to have skills that their bosses don't have and maybe only kind of understand. What have you been hearing, Simone, about what is the best way then to support and grow that talent, but also leverage those skills? I think it taps into a very important theme that's come up in many of the interviews and across the essays. The C-suite, by the way, a very understanding that they need to engage and communicate with their employees better than they have in the past, in particular in the hybrid environment. And so the answer to your question, Selena, is that what those employees want is to be heard and to be able to use those skills. We did hear a few stories of people where the company had gone out and made this big statement and hired people because they were all interested in data science and digital. And then one person said, you know, basically I'm making Venn diagrams for doctors. And, you know, (laughs) another person sort of wasn't really allowed to bring any of their actual sort of skills to bear. They were sort of sidelined and this isn't that important yet. Those people will leave. I mean, others said where they're allowed to really have their voice and contribute, you know, their know-how that's really a big motivator for them to stay. And so I think one of the emerging themes across it is really a a dialogue where today's executives understand what they know and they also know what they don't know. And they're really able to bring in this new talent to sort of open their eyes. That doesn't mean they all shove aside that you have to throw them all out. That doesn't mean that they don't have strategic input, but it does mean that they should be tapping into the skills of people who are able to bring something new to their way of thinking. And I think it's going to be quite Darwinian. Those that do will do better. And those that ignore them won't get the top talent. So the survey had over 600 respondents. and We broke them into groups and we asked them some of the same questions, but some different ones. So there's a group of C-suite people who we asked questions about what they're looking for in hires and in particular management hires. And I think a fairly strong signal that came out is pro-social traits are really key and teamwork is really key. So the the sort of archetype of the genius bully that was maybe tolerated before just seems like is going by the wayside. It's not going to be tolerated in the future. And there's a whole slew of personality traits that, you know, you could just bunch under the heading of basically antisocial that are are real deal breakers. You know, That's right. So a couple of other themes that have come up have been mentoring. So, you know, you have a class of people who want to get into the C-suite as their next role. And what they really want is to be able to understand how decisions are made. If they don't find that inside their companies, they'll go elsewhere. And they're certainly, you know, tapping in to mentors in all kinds of places. 
Steve Ha, who's CEO of Sana Biotechnology, he told me on the Biocentury show that he spent a lot of time actually. I asked him what was the you know biggest surprise to him, and he said the amount of time that he spends on mentoring people internally to be the next leaders. He says it's the best use of his time, but it it does take a lot of time, and I think that that's something that is really important. Steve at FDA, I know Richard Pazda's got thoughts on how to let this next generation of people get their kind of networks and exposure. Just tell us a little bit about that. Oh, it's really interesting. Yeah. So what Rick, Rick Pazda told me is that he spends a great deal of time thinking about how to advance the careers of the people who are working for him at the Oncology Center of Excellence. And that includes trying to foster opportunities for them to interact with the scientific and the medical communities outside of the context of FDA, for example, giving podium presentations at at ASCO meetings or writing or being co-authors on papers that are published in New England Journal of Medicine or Lancet or something like that. And he said that's one of the things that's most important, not only for attracting talent, but for retaining people and making sure that they find value and meaning in their jobs and that they feel that they're going to have an opportunity to grow. Steve, I have to tell you, to people who do this all the time, it sounds so obvious. It sounds like we shouldn't need to say it. It's not actually something new. And yet it's something that came up over and over again as a need. And you see that actually Pazda, you know, he's kind of the outlier in this. A lot of time you do have the incumbent leaders hogging the spotlight. And the ability to share it and put people out there and let them grow their networks and their name is really important. I think it's really important also because one thing that came out from the next cohort, which is the sort of what we call the heavy lifters, the rank and file staff, is a large number of them actually said they didn't know what the requirements were to get to the next level. They didn't know how to do that in their companies. and. People want a career path. Some of them want to go faster. Some of them might be willing to go slower. But companies who want to keep the really good talent have to spend the time showing them and allowing them, creating a culture where they can ask, how do I get to the next level? What do I need to do? And, you know, I I think that that is a recurring theme. Well, there was also quite a lot of good news in that survey. I think managers will be happy to hear that. Almost everybody reported being excited by their company's science. They like what they do. They like the mission of the industry. Two-thirds of them said they are very likely to stay at their current job for at least two years, and almost as many think their compensation is fair, though they also reported that they would definitely leave for better compensation, so uh, don't get complacent about that. That's very important, Selena, because especially in this era, you know, we hear about the great resignation, we hear about salary inflation and so on. I mean, those are real things. But at the same time, you know, most people in the industry are happy. They just want to work in a good company. But I think the message that I kind of am hearing from what you're saying and what people said is that if you get the culture right, you can really keep and nurture good talent. And so it's not that everybody's doing a terrible job so much as here are the ingredients that are likely to create the companies that will nurture the future leaders. That's right. And in a time when um, a lot of people are working from home, 
that connection to the company in some ways is feeling more abstract or a little loose. I think managers are going to have to work a little bit harder to engage those employees and make them feel relevant, make them feel like they have a path, that they're part of a strategy that's really important, doing something meaningful. It's not going to come quite as easily. It has to be a proactive effort. And I think that's very important what you said, because I speak to a lot of CEOs and they are all fretting and worrying. They tell me one of the two big things that keeps them up at night, the other is the economy, but one of the two big things that keep them up at night is working out how to manage this hybrid environment and when to let people go back to work and how much should they require and so on. But when you talk to the employees, they think the company's doing a pretty good job. They're not up at night over that at all. So, you know, that's a, a bigger pain point. I think there are issues and we're going to continue to follow the talent base and what's important. There are certainly issues with onboarding. There are issues that you've just pointed out about creating a company culture, and that is harder to do in a hybrid environment. But the hybrid environment is not going away, is what we're hearing. And so companies do need to work that out. And frankly, the best way to work that out is everything we've been talking about, which is increasing the amount of communication with the employees and just doing that in new ways because the water cooler conversations are fewer and further between. So to wrap it up, I think the thing I want to say is this, the founders of biotech, they didn't have decades of drug development experience under their belts. And they had skills that pioneers have, persistence, resilience, stamina, appetite for risk-taking. We sort of drifted away where people expect and want years and years of experience to get the CEO job or to having a management team. And that's actually not the only criteria or even as important a criteria. You need some of that, but you need to balance that with other things. As I said, they founded the industry by taking risks. It might seem risky to people to let less experienced people run the ship or at least touch the steering wheel. It's time to do that. And that's what's going to shape the next era of leaders. All right, Simone, thanks for bringing it home. This has been our fifth and final back to school podcast. If you missed the earlier ones, I invite you to track them down on our website, on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. The entire package of back to school, our 30th back to school issue is available on biocentury.com. You can also access all the content via the PDF if you're a subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, uh, now's a great time to jump on in. Kendall Square Orchestra provides the music for our podcast. The group connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education.